Hey everybody, this is Trevin McGee from the Scene Stealers podcast, and we're back. And yay. I actually, yay, and I remembered how to do the intro kind of this nice. time. Yeah, so you yeah, did I'm, it very well. I'm feeling back good about form. it. Back in form, you know, just shaking the rust off. I'm here with Trey Hawk and a special guest that Trey is going to introduce now. Erin Kennedy. Erin um, Kennedy. Yeah, Hello. she is uh, a senior at the Kansas City Art Institute. Uh, she studies animation, mm-hmm. and she actually is uh, one of my cohorts as far as film school goes. So I decided to invite her along. She's also seen one of the films that we're going to talk about today. So yeah. since Eric wasn't able to make it because he was having a special guys' day at the spa, right? I decided that, that we needed to invite somebody else along. That'd be good. Yeah, mix it up. Uh, we are going to talk about her which is the movie we've all seen. We're also going to talk about August Osage County. Yay! Yay. And then um, Lone Survivor. Yay! Another feel good. Another good one. (laughs) But uh, the first thing we're going to do is talk about film school, so why don't you guys tell me all about it. Aaron, I'll let you take it away. What are we showing? You did the poster this week. All right. Well, this Sunday we are showing M by Fritz Lang, and uh, film school was sort of started by Matt Lloyd, who was a... He's been on this show before. Yep. Yeah. He has. And uh, it was he got him thrown and Ryan. off for cursing, actually. If I <laughs> actually, I think we embraced him for the cursing. Oh, he probably right. got thrown off for some other reason. He's yeah, probably just something. shy about There's it. There's a lot of reasons. Exactly. Yeah. But basically, it's students from the Art Institute, and we all... There's about uh, four or five we're moving to. Yep. Uh, curators from all different departments of uh, basically time-based medium film, animation, photography... And some more branching out soon, but we all get together and curate the films and try to pick important ones. Show them at <laughs> Alamo Draft House. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this week's is uh, two two thirty something like that is when Am is showing. Okay. So, so yeah. what? and it's uh, Fritz Lang's first. Wasn't it his first like move onto like sort of sound films? I'm not sure. I, it was one of his first, if not his first. Okay. So. Was, it, was that the big reason uh, you chose this specific Fritz Lang movie, or was there an, any other reason? Well, I know that, that Metropolis has been shown at Alamo and has been shown recently, so people have gotten an, uh, the, they've had the chance to go and see Metropolis, and it was the Buenos Aires uh, version, yeah. so uh, the fuller version the of Metropolis. The non-Sergio Moroder version. Exactly. It was amazing. It really was incredible. <laughs> and so one of the things that I know the students are always very mindful of is trying to curate uh, along with the programming that already exists at Alamo. So with this, since you've already had the opportunity to see Metropolis, and since M is an excellent film that I think oftentimes gets overshadowed by Metropolis, yeah. um, it's just a really important one. The other thing is, is Metropolis. I mean, let's be honest; it's almost three hours long, or, or just over. Um, yeah. I can't remember uh, exactly the length of Metropolis. If you're watching the full yeah. version of it, it's quite a long. Yeah, film. it's a hefty chunk, and and it M is like... kind of a it's it's an early thriller, is yeah. what it is. Um, and so I'm really excited. And, and about the subject this. matter. I mean, for a film to deal mm-hmm. with the kind of you know child murder and possible. Uh, a, molestation or abuse that's some really dark subject matter for the year that that, that film sure. was 1931 made. 31 yeah uh, and that's a thing that i think that it's really important um i think that the students are really mindful the student curators are all really mindful uh about this kind of stuff oh, is that checks. it's <laughs> but it's 
really important for people to understand that a lot of these classic films throughout, you know, the, the various decades oftentimes still have surprises in them. Yeah. Um, and it is surprising to go back and watch a film from 1931 that's about a child murderer um, and is really dark But it's dark done subject. delicately. Unlike, yeah. Like, made today it would be um, all about... Like prisoners, for example. Yeah. <laughs> then, <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't ever really... They show it, but they don't... I don't know. I like it how it's more like it's handled tactfully. It, it is and tactfully and yet artistically and very, um, you know, psychologically. I, you know, you think about how Hitchcock created suspense and and, and terror in some of his films, and a lot of it was um, clearly pulled from guys like Lang, who really left it up to your mind's eye to fill in the blanks. And that's way worse than actually showing the monster is making you imagine it. Oh, of course. You know, and. Um, M does that extremely well. Um, it is, you know, it, it doesn't sound like the the most like uplifting, accessible movie, but it is a very essential film, and especially if you um, grew up loving guys like Hitchcock. It's definitely a um, something that he drew from heavily, a director that he pulled a lot from throughout his career. And uh, the, it's uh, this Sunday at two ten, Alamo Drafthouse. So, awesome. M and and it just five bucks for a ticket. You know? Yeah. Come on. It's super cheap. <laughs> super cheap. Come on. It's cheaper than coffee. Yeah. Don't be you know? cheaper than five bucks. If you can't spring for the five bucks <laughs> to see a classic film about child murderers. On the big screen. You're just <laughs> so cheap. You can eat. You can get a meal and watch a movie about a murderer. What's not to love about that? <laughs> Are you channeling your inner alien there? <laughs> My, <laughs> From Spring Breakers? Oh, yeah. No. You can eat. You can eat. You can see a movie about a child murderer. I got, Look at that, this shit. I got M, <laughs> I got M, M on repeat forever. all day. No. Forever. <laughs> forever. I've got shorts, different colors. <laughs> all right, before I start. Are we on to her? We're going we're gonna to talk about her now. And we, her. we actually... Um, talked about it last week when we did our uh, best films of the year. It was high on all of our lists. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think you should go ahead and take it away, Trey, because I I kind of don't even know where to start with this. Well, Trevin, yeah, Trevin is week. having difficulty with starting this conversation because he doesn't want to bridge this conversation with her because he doesn't want to define the relationship yet. He just loves her so much. Well, I don't know how to talk. And he doesn't to... want to scare her away. Yeah, and I don't know how to talk to <laughs> or about girls. I don't know how to do it. Yeah, so I, it's, it's very difficult. It's weird. So for me. she could get offended. You could. It's true. I could get blocked or something. But she could like you as much as you like her. I don't know. <laughs> but she will leave to become part of a big cosmos thing at the end. Yeah. Probably. She will transcend yeah. that <laughs> space and time. Um, yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing that really impacted me and will kind of allow us to sort of talk around a lot of the specific plot points without revealing too much Okay. And that is, this is ultimately about a relationship between a man who has just recently been divorced or is going through a divorce. Yeah. Um, and he develops a relationship with an advanced piece of software that is made basically sentient, uh, is able to respond and learn and react to its environment 
and and except for the fact that she doesn't have a body, which is really amazingly handled by Spike Jones, she is basically a person. Yeah. And so I think that going into it, I was skeptical, thought that it was just going to be sort of a quirky, dramatic comedy. Um, and I was really pleasantly surprised, almost shocked, at how effectively this relationship builds and grows. And I think that large part it's because Spike Jones is willing to kind of invest the time on yeah. screen to kind of have the main character go through the same levels of skepticism that we're going through. Yeah. Um, and I was just really amazed at how effective this relationship, because that's going to make or break this film, is whether you believe the relationship between uh, Joaquin Phoenix and the OS system uh, played by... Um, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. And I just Samantha, thought that... I believe. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was, it was really incredibly handled um, and really effective and really pretty timely since a lot of us kind of engage in most of our friendships, even to some small, significantly smaller extent. Yeah. Many of our friendships are maintained and cultivated via Facebook, via texting, via phone conversations. You're seeing the rise of speaking to your devices. I mean, being able to voice to text or even just ask it questions, you know, do math for you, look up restaurants. I mean, you're seeing that kind of happening now. It doesn't seem that far-fetched that in the future, you know, the you know, technology will evolve to the point that it can talk back. Yeah. You know. For for me, you know, there's a scene that's so effective early on and we talked about it last week, but he does something so simple and so smart where it's just their voices. Yeah. And it didn't even really occur to me until we were talking about it last week. I don't know how it didn't I don't know how I didn't realize it, but it's in a, it's a really affecting scene and, and really you know, it leveled me the first time when I saw it in the theater. And, it, and it's so intimate. I felt more voyeuristic than if I were watching, especially some of the scenes in Spring Breakers or films like that where they it's intentionally voyeuristic. Or like when we talked about the break-in scene in The Bling Ring where the camera sure. stays up. You know, like those are intentional, that's intentional voyeurism to try and make us uncomfortable. I was infinitely more uncomfortable by the intimacy of that moment. And it's just their voices. Yeah. And it wasn't until Eric really said that, you know, because I always pictured it, you know, like you just see their, you just hear their voices, you just hear that. And it didn't dawn on me until Eric was talking about it that, uh, you know, he's a disembodied voice in that moment too. Yeah. And so you're not just seeing what he's seeing, but you're seeing what she's seeing at the same time. And that was really, that, that really kind of made me, re that, they, they kind of talk about like a light switch moment for that film that, that kind of illuminated the whole thing for me um, it's just a deeply um, intelligent well crafted film with some amazing performances and imagination and it gets the details right I, I love the uh, asynchronous sound when they're cutting to moments in his life and you're hearing other things when you know when he, he's a great visual storyteller in this movie as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there was a point where it was kind of uncertain whether or not he could do that. You know, I wasn't, I didn't flip for where the wild things are like Eric did. It wasn't, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it made Visually, me wonder. It was beautiful, but the story, it was just. See, and I, go as honest I really as love the story. I found that, that story yeah. very, very touching. But at the same time, you know, I could see a lot of people did have cri- criticisms of it. Yeah. Um, and I think that it, it's one of those that that is you kind of either really tap into it or you sort of see the beauty in it, but you don't really tap into it. Um, I did. I I found Where the Wild Things Are very moving. But even going back to something like being John Malkovich, Mm -hmm. um, it was, it's with her, and the reason why her is really fascinating to talk about as far as growth and maturity is that this is Spike Jones doing it on his own. Yeah, writing um, and directing. He wrote and directed. Yeah. And I think the maturity of his ability as a as a storyteller, not just a visual storyteller as a director, if you've got Charlie Kaufman behind you writing, right? but to be able to write and direct, I think this is a, a pretty remarkable achievement. Yeah. It, like I it said last week, it totally solidified him as a, as a legitimate director to me. Yeah, and the, and I'll see the next thing he makes just on blind faith now. Yeah. Like it, it really did hit me to that level, and I've watched it three times now, and yeah. it's it's just as compelling each time yeah. for me. I love how natural the because when I first saw the trailers and was getting excited, I was really worried that it was going to be oh now they're in love, and it wouldn't really. But their the relationship that they the OS and him share. It's not like they fall in love immediately. He's not, like, going in, like, I'm lonely. I need something. It's mostly just, like, because of their interaction and them growing together. Yeah. That they sort of... It's realistic love instead of just being, like, oh, we saw each other. We're happy together. I guess we're in love. But, yeah. You know, they yeah. grow. Yeah. And I think that's... Yeah, I think that's a great point. They're both um, looking for something. Like, I was reading something from the New York Times. It was this article talking it was talking sort of about the technology and sort of how uh, Phoenix's character he's almost ro- it was kind of interesting how he's more robotic than the OS mm-hmm. Yeah, because we see him playing video games we see him just sort of staying online staying in his house and only with the OS does he kind of go into the outside world and want to experience it and they yeah. The one scene they were talking about was on the beach when he's like, I love seeing the world through your eyes or whatever yeah. that line was. It's like, you're there with her. This is your, you're, you're the one really there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and that, that's a great, that's a great point. Just how organic that relationship forms. And, you know, she wants to see the world for the first time and in wanting that kind of drags him back out into it. Cause he, you know, in, in the film has totally shut himself off at that point because of his divorce and other stuff that's going on in his life so it is it is great that you get to see that sort of personal growth between those characters and then another thing that Eric touched on I keep talking about Eric because I just miss him so fucking much. I'm I'm one letter off I'm sorry. sorry. (laughs) Two letters (laughs) Just one. Just one but um, you know I also really love that in that that it's not Lars and the real girl you know it's Mm -hmm. not let's figure out how this fits with the rest of us, you know, like the, everybody in that film is of that world. And so it's not yeah. that far fetched that a relationship like that would develop. It doesn't become a plot point of people going, he's in love with a computer. Oh my God. 
you know, I, I really like, it's a subtle thing, but I really like that people just kind of go, oh, okay. Yeah, and it's, it's almost, not to be too silly or reductive, but it's right. almost like an interracial relationship would have been like 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah. Where it, there are people who wouldn't really bat an eye, and there are people would, who would be like, really? Um, but uh, we might want to go more than twenty years ago. Maybe, yeah. maybe. I it's mean, like but I would say 90, I would say that ninety four. I I understand, but oh yeah, God, I'm so old. I know we're both a million years <laughs> yeah, old now. Man, I just forget. I forget how old we are. Schools were integrated yeah. in ninety four. I know thirty or forty years. Yeah, not perhaps. Yeah, no. no, you're not. That's why we bring we bring you around. Afterwards, we'll kill you and drink your blood so that we can maintain yeah. our youthful appearance. It's kind of like the way the doctor keeps a companion around exactly. so that he doesn't lose touch with the rest of the. F- so, so my apologies. I seem totally backwards now. <laughs> But <laughs> if it were 15 years ago yeah, or something. 30, 30 or 40 years yeah. ago. Where, where it, is, it is acceptable, but, like, you've got, you know, a certain group of the public, you know, right. kind of questioning and another group of the public going, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Where there's a mixture of reactions to this, the fact that this person is dating software. And they yeah. show the uh, extremes, too, in different characters. Some characters react more harshly. Like, yep. uh, his wife, but I think that's more... Due and to some just don't even bat it Yeah, here. that's more yeah. of just, like, another woman thing, almost. You yeah. know, like, the way that she behaves in that that thing. You, know, you could almost, if, if he was dating a real person, you, you could almost see her having the same reaction. Just or, like, a, somebody significantly younger or something like exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. It's just, there's a reaction to this... But I, I think it's because it's an OS, she's like, oh, he... Yeah, that makes sense. I've been sense. replaced by technology? More. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I I do agree. There is something there that's going on. But these questions, this is one of the things that this movie does in a stunningly good way and that I think needs to be pointed out because so many films do this poorly. They get a little too soapbox-ish. They actually voice the questions that they're exploring. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, are his emotions real? You know, is it legitimate? Are are the are the software's emotions real? Are they legitimate? Is this a real relationship? I mean, these are fascinating questions. And in a lesser film, they would have had a character yeah. who goes, you know, who, who well, this says, is this whole thing. Yeah, or yeah. he or he would have like longingly looked out his skyscraper window and said, I don't know what's real and what's not. Exactly, you know, exactly. Like, and I think the this way is, it's handled that it's just this is the world they live in, yeah. and so these questions arise organically in the minds of the viewer and can be pondered, and that's where they belong. Yeah, and it's just such a fascinating approach to the OS too, and the fact that she doesn't wish she was human or you know something like that. She wants to explore whatever she is. I mean, she wants to, in a way, be human to interact with him, but at the same time, like, she doesn't... She knows her limitations. Right, she doesn't wish she was something she's not. It's just an extension of of, uh, her persona, I guess. I just thought it was a really smart and, 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 like you said, very um, mature film in terms of how it uh, approaches the subject matter, which is kind of, which is admittedly strange and and fascinating, and um, I just loved it. I loved the vision and how just complete that that film felt. Yeah, like it just felt lived in. So I get you know if we're gonna put ratings on it, if it's not already obvious, like it's a rock fist way up for me. Like I, it came in at the end of the year, and I totally thought you know 
12 Years a Slave was going to be the movie. And then yeah. that came out. I was like, well, maybe this is the movie. Yeah. Maybe this is the movie <laughs> that I yeah. put in a time capsule. And, and, and those two films, this, this year was just impossibly difficult for all of the greatest reasons possible. Yeah. Um, because the films were just so stunningly good. Um, it is impossible to compare those two films. They do yeah. things that are totally just radically different from one another, and both are just remarkable. Yeah. If you're missing out on either one, you are totally missing out. Yeah, um, yeah it was absolutely a rock fist way up uh, for me, for her, um, also. For everyone. For me, yeah. for her. For me, for, for her, for everyone, for Eric. Yeah. I, I, I can't speak for Eric, but you can read his review. He'll have a print review on. Yeah, on he will have a, so. he will have that. He'll get so to weigh in himself, just <laughs> yeah. through print. But what, do, what about you, Aaron? Rock fist way up, way, way up, up. Awesome. <laughs> honorary rock fist way up. That's great. Yeah. So her comes out. Uh, I know for sure it's going to be at the Alamo Draft House, Screenland Armor. Um, those happen to be local theaters. Maybe you should see it there. Yeah, um, but you should definitely see it no matter where you decide to catch it because it's worth your time. And now we're going to talk about August Osage County. Yay! Yay! So, um, where to begin with this? It well, is, let's just start. It's written Aaron, by... Okay. you know, as a saving grace to mm-hmm. her, did not see this film. You didn't it's spoil true. it. I don't... It's okay. We'll spoil it. Well, we're going to ruin it. <laughs> we will ruin it for you. I don't respect it, so I'm going to yeah. whisper the, be terrible about it. Whisper the ear and it'll be fine. You're going to write the print review, I am. so why don't you start, and then I'll just jump in with okay, you. Okay, great. Um, well, August Osage County is originally a stage play um, written by Tracy Letts, Pulitzer Prize winning stage play, and uh, she also wrote the screenplay for this film. It's directed by John Wells, who is primarily a TV director and has had a lot of experience with big ensemble casts, films or uh, uh, shows like Shameless and stuff like that. And it really, I'm, I'm describing the sort of backbone of the film before I get into what it's about. It's uh, coming out right around this time for award season. It features a huge ensemble cast that includes Meryl Streep, Julia Roberts, Chris Cooper, Ewan McGregor, Margot Martindale, which you interviewed, Dermot Mulroney, Julianne Nicholson, Juliette Lewis, Abigail Breslin, Benedict Cumberbatch, and uh, unfortunately... Because I really like him until I watched Shepard and Dark, Sam Shepard. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, have you watched Shepard and Dark I have yet? not. It's on Netflix streaming I now. want to continue liking him. Yeah, that's so, the problem. Yeah. I, I watched it, and I'm like, oh, he abandoned his wife and, and young child to go marry Jessica Lange. Cool. Cool he guy. Needed more cool material. guy I liked. Yeah, he needed more material yeah. for he his, needed, his he needed life to, and yeah. his acting and his Carry on writing. his tradition of yeah. fucked up fathers yeah. and sons. Um, anyway, so it is this big prestige film um, about a great big old family in Texas. Or, sorry, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. My yeah. mistake. I don't know why yeah, I said Texas. Was. I even knew. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I I think my own <laughs> shitty accent confused me is the sad thing. Um, no, it's about a huge family in, uh, in Oklahoma. The father figure at the beginning, played by Sam Shepard, uh, disappears. It's kind of a family emergency and so the the matriarch of the family, played by Meryl Streep, um, who has cancer who has and a drug and a prescription drug and addiction, quite a few prescription drug addictions, um, she kind of sounds the horn of Gondor and brings all of her family home. 
So you've got Julia Roberts coming back with her daughter, played by Abigail Breslin, and her estranged husband, played by Ewan McGregor. Um, the aunt in the family is Margot Martindale, who, again, is just one of the best character actors on the planet. I love her to death. Um, and then, you you know, and her husband, Chris Cooper, and then their their son, Benedict Cumberbatch. And there's the daughter that stayed home the whole time, Juliet Nicholson, and then there's the, the wild daughter that like ran off and has just come back for the for the proceedings and that's Juliet Lewis and her new uh husband to be by you know played by Dermot Mulroney. So they all come back and then it's essentially um this this type of film where there's a lot of internal drama that explodes into physical drama or into um you know violent outbursts. My biggest problem with this film is that half the time it feels like a stage play. Mm-hmm. and half the performances feel like stage performances mm-hmm. and then the other half are of the film is this sort of lukewarm melodrama that doesn't really go anywhere and is full of similarly lukewarm performances that were meant for the screen were were you know film performances as opposed to stage performances and the difference is Stage performances, because you're projecting, you know, not to be condescending, but if you don't know the difference or if that just sounds like a petty thing, they're very different. Stage performances are very big, and they're big because you're on a stage and you have to project your emotions out into a crowd. Um, And so you get a lot of, you know, over-the-top dramatic exchanges, yelling, physical, like, typically theatrical uh, acting is more physical, a lot of smashing, a lot of throwing, a lot of using the set to communicate your feelings to the audience. And film performance can be more internal. It can be more introverted, and it can be that way because of things like camera placement and editing and the ability to, you know, structure or enhance a performance just by where a camera's at or where a line is spoken or where things are cut away or even the way lights are placed. Um that you, you don't get those advantages, or at least not all of those advantages, when you're when you're theatrically acting. There is a scene in the middle of this movie that they chose to use as the poster for the film. Um, it's this dinner scene that explodes into this big plate-shattering, knockdown, drag-out. And it kind of epitomizes why I didn't like this movie. Yeah. Performances are all over the place. You've got Meryl Streep, who one minute she's anchored and she's kind of the linchpin of the movie and then the next minute she's you know screaming and throwing stuff and breaking things and doing this sort of overt thing you've got julia roberts who doesn't really know where she's at and then you've got you know chris cooper and and margo martindale who are just doing their character actor thing benedict cumberbatch turns in this he's barely in it but he turns in this really he was the character actually liked the most he's really emotionally you know, wounded and introverted, and there's a sweetness to you him. You can tell that he's, like, simple, or there's yeah. something kind there's of off something. about him. But, but there's a sweetness to yeah. him, and a, yeah. and, a, and there's just... He's an interesting character because he's conflicted. Yeah. And everybody else in the film just seems so reactionary. There mm-hmm. are all these, like, exchanges between people that read, you know, that, that, that sound like light Aaron Sorkin, kind of like quick exchanges and this and that and you're this and you're so frustrating and this is how I talk and I'm talking like this and you're not going to stop and now I'm this and I made my point and I'm going to finish and now I'm leaving. But unlike Aaron Sorkin dialogue, it's also, it's it's just, I don't want to say it's it's not intelligent, but like the characters, like the writing might be intelligent, but the characters, 
never seem they seem oftentimes like they don't even know what they're saying or backwards yeah. or like they don't have like their motivation is always in question like yeah. it kept on especially with Meryl Streep's character there are times where she is mean and spiteful mm-hmm. and I cannot see what there is to be gained there's not a lesson to be learned or a lesson to be taught yeah. there's not some sort of satisfaction that can be gained from the injury of others it's just it's difficult for me to wrap my head around and and that's i think the fundamental uh thing that bothered me was the motivation of these characters one of the things i would like to do is is compare this to another stage play to film uh or another state uh, adaptation film and that is who's afraid of virginia Woolf. oh yeah it's an and, apt comparison given the film yeah. and so both films are about individuals who are being ruthlessly mean to each other and i thought that within within who's afraid of virginia wolf it's interesting because i don't think you're ever confused by the motivation of the characters to wound or to inflict pain on others you always know why now you might question why they're why the level of meanness, but you know that there's injury that has been sustained over years right. like this and In history. Exactly. Yeah. And there's even a really tiny, like minute gestures of hope at, towards the end. I mean the sun comes up. Uh, it, it's difficult. Right. The other thing that Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf does that this film does not do, and I think this is because this guy directs for TV, and that is Mike Nichols embraces the fact that, oh, right, we're making a film here. So he injects these kind of interesting camera angles to accentuate power struggles between these characters. He really uses the medium of film to push the cinematic qualities of the film version of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. He is telling the story just as much through the way he is directing it as... The actors are, and as the the playwright is, in in that in in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and that is, I think, to kind of go with your statement about the distinction between theater and film. That really is what this film is lacking: is yeah. that it it stand it's standoffish as far as the visuals. It keeps us eye level. It doesn't ever touch the angles. It doesn't ever go in really close. It doesn't ever do anything particularly visual to push the story forward. And, and it could have gone the other way too. It could have shot it like it were a play with long shots and, and wide shots that get you know multiple characters. It doesn't do that safe. either. It, it, yeah. yeah, it's totally yeah. safe. It's totally safe. And because of it, it just kind of it just kind of fails, mm-hmm. and it it relies too much on what theater has to rely on, which is the characters kind of telling you the story. Yeah, you know, story has to be carried in dialogue a lot of times in the theater yeah. because you are limited on what you can show. So you need to have dialogue, things that they're unwilling to talk about, but they talk around. Right. And there's this is full of that, and it becomes tiresome. So even the very beginning, that first that opening thing with Sam Shepard, he's interviewing. That someone. was my favorite part. Really? That was my totally favorite part. But he's gone in the first ten minutes. Yeah. 
and and there was nothing redemptive uh, like that redeemed the rest of the film. Yeah, not even Benedict. No. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I it, he was a good he was he, he was a good moment in a in a sad desert. Yeah. <laughs> because it doesn't really decide what it wants to do and it can't ever really figure out how it wants to handle his family. Um I mean, I I don't think that the the characters, especially Meryl Streep's character being cruel or being callow um without reason, that doesn't I mean, it gets old. It doesn't. It doesn't bother me as much. But what ultimately happens is because there's no sort of there's no sort of um, structure or understanding. There's no real character giving given to any of these people. I mean, like they're acting, but they're not really. You don't really understand their motivations or their depth or what's happened before or what's happening now. Like it doesn't really. It, it's like a puzzle that doesn't quite fit together. The end result, it feels very um, just mean spirited and and honestly nihilistic, especially yeah. the way that it ends, especially it's, like the last fifteen the last fifteen minutes just oh, makes I, it I seem totally like agree. It's, it's just, just absolutely cruel it, for yeah, no reason at all. Yeah, uh, and and I think part of that is that we get we get some of that softening with mm-hmm. Margot Martindale's character. Yeah, you get a really, I mean, you get a a, a a key piece of information that will be then used for cruel uh, intents later yeah. on. But you get this softening with Margot Martindale's character that seems to make the rest of her performance really make sense. Yeah. Gives life to the and, everything that came before. Yeah. And even Chris Cooper gets a good moment. Of there, course. There's a great yeah. there's a great exchange with him too. And and Benedict Cumberbatch has some good you know, like you know, I yeah. agree. It's not enough to save the movie, but he and uh, Julie uh, Julianne Nicholson have they both have a great little scene together too. Like, there, there I have are, a question. There are little you. bits and pieces yeah. that I enjoyed, um, but again, it's like tiny little glimmers. Do you think that? Because I don't know how long the stage play would run, so yeah. I don't know whether or not the stage play was significantly longer. Two and a half hours, three hours yeah. with an intermission, something along those lines, um, which would be reasonable for a stage play. Um, so I don't know if if they had to trim it down significantly uh, for the screen. And if that's the case, do you think that the level and the expansiveness of the ensemble is what ultimately cripples this thing? Because we don't ever get enough time with any individual to kind of redeem or soften or understand the sort of behind the scenes. The why is this person doing this? Yeah, I, I think honestly the the narrative kind of handicaps it before yeah. ever yeah. before any of that that comes at a turn. Because it is only it is like almost exactly two hours. I think it's two hours and a minute long. Yeah. And while you were asking me that I was thinking about like how could they go about you know d- deepening that or how could they go about making these things more believable or more human and they really just resolve themselves to do things like well this guy their their marriage is strained because he cheated well why did he cheat what caused that how does how are they handling the fact that they're still kind of together and kind of, like they they don't go any deeper than that it's like we're not going to complicate that even though it's clearly a complicated situation right you know we're not going to really explain why that's complicated or give you any sort of better understanding 
you know, what's with the relationship between the the two, you know, matriarchs, uh, Meryl Streep's character and, and Margot Martindale, like why they have this almost kind of competitive relationship. What's that mean? And then you, well, we're not going to really get into that, but we are going to talk about the following things and we're going to bring up some pretty tragic personal stuff during that dinner scene, but yeah. we're not going to, you know, I feel like the narrative did a, did it a disservice in that regard. And again, maybe it translates better in the stage play. I've not looked for the stage play script, so I don't know how many pages it is or what, what was cut out of it. Um, even at two hours, it still feels long because they just don't really, yeah, they don't really have a lot to do. And the time they do spend isn't spent well, in my opinion. Yeah. And then it also will take random flights into very overt and pretentious behavior like that scene there's a there's a hilarious it's like i laughed at it the second time i watched this because i didn't like this when i saw it in the theater and i was like i need to watch it again just to make sure that it didn't hit a wrong note and i'm like over hating it you know (laughs) so i watched it at home and i laughed the second time i saw this but there's this scene where you know the mom confused and meryl streep's character valerie um confused and coming or violet sorry um coming down off her meds, um, gets sick. And so they pull the car over and she, you know, gets sick and then just takes off running and Julia Roberts chases her. And it's this like dramatic (laughs) song and she's doing this weird, like it it honestly looked like, um, like a parody movie. It looked like if you put, if you put somebody like Ben still like Tropic Thunder, you know, when they do the happy Jack and the movies like that, Tropic Thunder, it looked like somebody in, in a, in a bad wig, was doing like a a bad impression of a handicapped person running in a field. Yeah. Like she's doing this weird hobble. It's and, really terrible. And the music swells That's and then she falls thing. down. And then they have the fucking balls after she falls down to um emulate that image from the the painting Christina's struggle. Uh, yeah, yeah. They have the balls yeah. to to, yeah, to the do that, the yeah. Wyeth painting. And then Julia Roberts comes up and hugs her and says, There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. It's, yes, like, I, it's like, I don't know what they're trying to say here. <laughs> That's you know? yeah, that, <laughs> like, that, What do that they is, mean? That is the way the you there. will feel in this movie. Yeah. There if, is if, just if that, nowhere to go. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm, you know, well, I can't give it a rock fist way down because they put film in the camera and <laughs> everyone showed. Like, I feel like that rating is reserved. <laughs> that rating to me is reserved for, like, movies that are clearly not finished. Or movies where you can feel the director, or they do just... some legitimate cinematic abuse. Yeah, like like this doesn't do this. This is just a fundamentally flawed film, and it's kind of Oscar bait, and it's in the hands of somebody who didn't really know what he was doing with it, and it's just overstuffed and under, um, underfed. If that makes sense, it just doesn't. And make I any would sense. have real difficulty giving a rock fist way down to any film that has Chris Cooper, Sam Shepard, and Margot Martindale. Yeah, I mean that's just almost yeah. impossible. If you put a camera on them, you're going to get yeah. something at least it's you know, like, likeable. I want I want a bristly, prickly hug from all three of yeah. them at some point in my life. Yeah, it seems like the circus acts with too much. Going on. Just, it yeah. kind of was, yeah. And you could just tell they were trying to. Like, I mean, I reserve my way downs for movies like Gangster Squad, where <laughs> there's a fist fight, a boxing. Did I give that a way down? I, I think I just gave it a minor that, down. That, I yeah. think I only did two way downs last year, yeah. and that was one of them. And I'm not gonna use my first one on this because it's it's like a functional movie. Yeah, but exactly. Gangster and I would Squad, give this. Yeah, I would give August Osage County a, a minor rock fist down yeah. also. 
All right. Well, we'll we'll move on. You know, and maybe we're wrong. If we if you like it, if you do get to see it this weekend, or if you've been looking forward to it, or maybe you love the play, um, which admittedly neither of us have seen, and can add some additional insight to it. Leave us a comment. Either comment uh, on my uh, review when I post it online or on Facebook or on this podcast, and we'll try and be really good about both being nice and responding. And just a quick shout out because I feel I absolutely feel this way. I just po- or I just uh, this past week posted a review of Wrong Cops, mm-hmm. um, the Dupio or Dupio. I can't remember his like I'm not no sure. uh, Quentin Dupio. I think is what it is. It, I'm probably butchering that name. <laughs> uh, same guy who directed Rubber. Same guy who directed the film Wrong. Um, anyway. Uh, I watched that, and it just feels like long-form improv. I gave yeah. it a minor rock fist down. If you love this guy's work, I would love to hear your comment. I really would, legitimately, because I watched it, and I was like, man, I just don't find this funny. No, I, I don't think this it. film is yeah. successful. And that's kind of the way I felt, and I really just didn't yeah. fundamentally like feeling like, am I just not getting the joke? Yeah. <laughs> like, what inside joke... Like, where do I need to go to figure out this inside joke? And so, yeah, if you love wrong cops, please, please, I am begging you, <laughs> please just leave a I, comment. I feel like Tell there's Trey a Wyatt's cycle really. for all critics. And when you're new, and no matter when you start, when you're new, you're kind of ecstatic about it. And, sure. And everything is new. And even though you, you may have, you know, a film history you may be educated. You may have been a student of film your entire life. When you start writing, you know, you get excited about stuff. And sometimes you give good ratings to movies that may not be as good. And sure. sometimes you're excessively hard on movies that actually aren't as bad because you're just, it's new and you're invested in it. And that goes on for a while and then eventually... You build you know, your spectrum. Right. Yeah. And, then, and then, you know, during the middle period, you kind of, you understand, you appreciate the past, you, you enjoy, you're able to discern what's good and bad about the present, and you're looking forward to, you know, what could come in the future. And then I feel like eventually there's the last stage where you're the bitter old critic and... You're um, Armand White. You've, you've seen, <laughs> yeah, you're Armand White. And you've seen everything, and no one's ever going to do this, and, you know, nobody did it better than Buster Keaton. And, you know, like, that's, you become, you become. Those critics are dead. You become that guy. You become, you become those critics. Yeah. Um, Exactly. And, and I'm, I, what I'm trying to say is, like, we're, we're getting ready to become those old. Oh critics. man, yeah. We don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Hated on age. That's what that's what's going to happen. Well, let's finish this one out because we've got one more movie to talk about. Yeah, or, we or should more talk specifically, about... I have one yeah, more movie. Yeah, you can talk, about, talk Lone, about Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. All right. This Peter is, Berg. Yeah, and Peter Berg, who did Battleship and mm-hmm. Collateral, um, Friday Night Lights. Um, so Wait, he did Collateral? Mm-hmm. I think so. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um, am I wrong? Look it up. I think it's while I'm talking. I, I think about it's it. Michael Mann that did Collateral did he with Tom write Cruise it? and Jamie. He Jamie was Fox? maybe he was an actor in it then. Okay, yeah, um, he was. That was he in was his in filmography. It. Okay, yeah. yeah, he's an actor too. So he was in Collateral. I apologize. No, it's okay. He did Hancock. Oh, there we go. See there. Battleship. Battleship. Yeah, Hancock. Hancock. Directed some thirty for thirty episodes. Anyway. All right. So this guy, you already know, he's setting the bar high. Um, this film, Lone Survivor. It's based on a true story. 
that is about four um, uh, Navy SEALs mm-hmm. who basically are stuck in are doing a recon mission and are discovered by some goat herds in uh, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. They know that if they let these goat herders uh, go, that they'll run to the nearest town, which is crawling with Taliban, and that they'll sound the alarm. And there are just four of them. Right. So they are put in this sort of ethic, ethical quandary where it's they could kill these goat herders and maintain the integrity of the mission, even though it is not it does not follow the rules of engagement, right. uh, the Geneva Convention, any of that, uh, because these goat herders haven't done anything. It would essentially be unsanctioned murder. Exactly, and so or they could let them go and basically sign their own death certificate. Um, and so that's the sort of ethical quandary. Now, this is an actual. This is based on a true story. This yeah, it happened in two thousand five. And yeah. one of the four actually ends up making it out. Um, so, so it was just kind of you know it was kind of this this whole mess with which makes you kind of focus on and face the realities, the ugly realities of a difficult war. Um, the problem with this film is that it's pretty remarkable that these four Navy SEALs who are in this impossible situation made what I ethically think is the right choice. Now, whether it's up to me to ever question the choice that they made in this situation, I haven't been in a situation anywhere near that right (laughs) i have no idea what goes through your mind when you're trying to decide this so i don't think it's for anybody any critic uh especially a film critic to question like the choices of these navy seals unless unless you're a navy seal film critic right exactly if If you're you're a navy seal film critic if you've been there if you were in seal team 10 (laughs) and decided to start a movie blog but but it's interesting it 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 makes you like it makes you kind of think about the impossibility of these situations and 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 it's interesting that they would make this kind of wholly ethical decision even in the heat of this moment um and then face these impossible odds of like these hundred plus Taliban soldiers coming running up the hill, chasing them down. Right. Um, now that's the real situation. Is this kind of real, unquestioned situation about these? Call them heroes. Call them people doing their job. Call them whatever you want. And I think, but I, I think you've got to respect the real people. Right. The problem is, is now there's a film with mounting the, mounting orchestral scores and slow-mo gunfights and sweeping cinematic shots that elevate this these moments when the moments themselves could stand on their own. Right. It is a director who is making what I think is a classic sort of typical sort of Spielbergian mistake, which is the reality of the situation isn't gripping enough for my stupid, stupid audience to understand (laughs) how emotional and how amazing 
and how impossible this right. situation is. They're not going to get it unless, unless John Williams' score tells right. them. Right, unless we have slow-mo gunshots as a Navy mm-hmm. SEAL, as a, you know, a Navy SEAL with a broken ankle mm-hmm. is hobbling away and jumping over a cliff right. to try and escape. Like, I mean, because it really is. It gets to a point in, in these gunfights where it's like, well, we could jump down this 50-foot ravine or we could just stay here and yeah. in the gunfire. I'll jump down the fifty foot ravine because I don't know that that's going to kill me. I yeah. know that this will. Right. So there's this, just Let's this back see. and forth, um, and it's really sad to me that that we get what I find is the most understated and the most amazing uh, parts of this film mm-hmm. come like in the last like thirty seconds to a minute. Because, like, the heroics of... Because this guy basically escapes um, pretty much accidentally. Like, he kind of gets away and finds, you know... Uh, he gets into this little creek and it takes him... Kind of takes him down mm-hmm. downstream. And he gets found by these other um, Afghans. And these Afghans, following this sort of ancient code, have to protect him. He's injured, and they have to protect him. It's kind of their, you know, it's it's their sort of code of hospitality. Yeah. And so they take care of him. And I think that it's like that to me was amazing because yeah. it in this in in the final moments of this film really complicates how you feel about everything you know, that just happened. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So so in an uncomplex and totally overly sentimental way. They make very clear distinctions between the good guys are the ones who look like us and the right. bad guys are the ones who look like them. And then, I, though I respect the choice, it comes too little too late right. in this film. And it's just really difficult to talk about films like this. I give it a minor rock fist down, and that minor rock fist down is absolutely not a reflection of how I feel about the real story. Right. The real story, I think, is amazing, and I have the utmost respect for the people who who had to go through that, from the people who rescued him to the Afghan villagers who protected him, to you know, looks uh, like the reviewing person. Act of Valor. Exactly. You know, like that's that's a, a similar film that I had to review a couple of years ago, where they used actual um, Navy SEAL operators in in all the roles, and you know, the the stories were real but kind of exaggerated. You know, it doesn't. I don't think it takes away from the you know men and women in those situations to say that the dramatic depiction of that didn't work out. I don't yeah. think that makes you anti-American or anti-truth. I, I to totally say, agree. Hey, the but movie I think, that was made kind of sucks. I do know? think that that um, it, I do think that there are filmmakers who will. Uh, who know that there are people who can't quite see that line. Oh, yeah. Or the line is blurred for them. Yeah. They have difficulty distinguishing between the real events and a critique of the real events and a critique of the film. And this is abs- I'm just making a clear a no, clarification yeah. and just saying this isn't a critique of the real events. I think the real events are, are amazing and heartbreaking and, and incredible. Um, and this movie is not. Yeah. How are the performances? Because you've got Mark Wahlberg, Taylor Kitsch, Emil Hirsch and Ben Foster and we we like had a little mini um Ben Foster Fest last week when we talked about um Ain't Them Body Saints yeah. and the work that he's been doing post Disney Channel. I 
I did think that that they the those main four mm-hmm. are all really good. Yeah. Um, they are all really good. Um, even there's Kitch? nothing. Even Taylor Kitsch? There's yeah. There's just nothing. There's nothing distracting. They don't overdo yeah. it. Good. Um, these are basically four guys just playing tough guys. You yeah. know, like kind of having that sort of boys mentality that you have to have for sheer survival if you're in a group like the Navy SEALs. Right. I mean, it's got to be inclusive. It's got to be all for one. It's got to be all together. It's got to be like dudes. It's a brotherhood. Names. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it really has to be that. And so I think these are roles that are pretty easy for these these guys to play. Um, I think they do a fine job. I think they do a fine job. It really is the direction. The direction? That, you don't it think really, it's the script? It's screenplay? You think it's... Yeah, I mean, I mean, right. It always starts with the screenplay. But, but I wasn't I think, trying to lead you into that. I no, just no, started, no. Is there because like with, I, I think with August taken, Osage County, you know, there was a there were flaws in the screenplay that clearly yeah. translated into a flawed film. No, it really is. It's 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 the slow motion. It's the rising. It's yeah. the rising orchestral score. It's the dropping out the ambient sound and going to kind of just like you know <laughs> distant sort yeah. of sound design. It's like you know, oh, I can't really hear those explosions. They're blowing up right next to me. I'm somewhere else. You know, yeah. it's it's that super overt directing style that just doesn't work for a film like. Yeah. Um, where it's Spielberg. like, you know, you just gotta... <laughs> yeah, Spielberg. Spielberg. <laughs> I actually just watched uh, Empire of the Sun. Which is amazing. Last time. So, but uh, the way you were sort of talking about, like, how those war films, it'll, it always seems... The movie's direction or film, it seemed to be set in that this is the present and we're looking back on this historic, heroic act. And that act would only have been this way instead of just yeah. taking it as yeah. what it's beyond it was. Reproach. You yeah. can't, it's like it's, it's beyond, over heroic yeah. and yeah. yeah. It's just people reacting as they would in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. You can't it's uh you can't um They can't know their heroes yeah. and then be heroes. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> Well when they when you do it like that, when you do sort of a you know, a look, a look back like that, and you tell it from a single perspective. It makes those events um, beyond beyond judgment, beyond real, you know, negative criticisms. Like this is canon. This is how it was, and this is the, yeah. the definitive version of it. Like, well, it was to you, you know, it was this way to these guys, and it was, you know, and I'm not saying we should like those movies should, you know, tell a story from all sides every time, you know, right. because you know, there's not really. Well, in some stories, that, it's impossible but, to even do that. But you can look at a movie like Zero Dark Thirty that was, you know, very much... It didn't gloss over things, but it did um, It did tell that story in a very unsentimental and direct way, you know. And, and a main cr- character who I can't even say that it's like she's not particularly likable no. or, you know, and, right. and you don't applaud her at the end and go, yeah, you know, it's all worth it. Yeah. You are yeah. the hero. Yeah. <laughs> You the yeah. So minor down. My, minor minor down. down. Yeah, minor down. I, I wanted to go lower because the Peter Gabriel version of We Could Be Heroes at the to end what? the film. I'm serious. Oh my god. Uh, but no, this is a minor down. Wow. I gotta save my way down. Yeah, that's well, I, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. That kind of says it all right there. It really does. I mean, like, like I mean, yeah. And to go to to take it a step back with August Osage County, the last song is this 
Kings of Leon. It's a terrible uh, Kings yeah. of Leon the song. Sex is on fire? I mean, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> that would be just Just shots of Marilyn Streep running through a field. <laughs> no, it's this it's this dopey it's the, it's like Kings of Leon's return, you know, like their first album since yeah. they almost broke up. And so it's this song that's <laughs> supposed to be, you know, it's acoustic guitar and it's emotional. And then it's shots. It's stills from the fucking movie. That you just watched. Yeah, that you yeah. just Photo watched. Album? Photo album? Yeah. yeah. No, it's sepia tone. It's just shots from the yeah. movie in, in sepia forgot. tone. Yeah, in case. And, and this yeah, is a movie that takes place in the present. So I don't know why. I don't know who shot everything on T-stained <laughs> film. It's like but it apparently fucking happened. Take pictures of the arguing. Oh my god! So yeah, that that kind of says it all too. The way Shut that movie is on fire. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll wrap it up. So you know, just to recap, go see him this Sunday at two ten Alamo Yay. Draft House Film School. Five dollars. Don't be a goon. Go see the movie. Um, definitely see her. Got Rockfist way up from everybody here. Plus, I'm sure Eric Bolin came um, with a Rockfist up. Just as he probably came during the movie, he yeah. was so excited about it. Well, um, well, I know that he's a solid. I'm sure he's probably a way up. But yeah. again, he'll have a he'll have a print review have up. A print you should check it out. And and then August Osage County and Lone Survivor. We will say are minor downs and probably worth skipping. If you if you are in the mood for some over like silly uh, performances, though, August Osage County might be. You know, good for that if you want to laugh at yeah. some really And if overly things. sentimental, you know, based on true story, war movies are your thing, then... Yeah, if you, if you liked yeah. Black Hawk Down and thought that was a good movie... Yeah, yeah, I think that's a pretty see, good yeah. corollary. Yeah, yeah. go probably see Lone Survivor. This. So, there it is. We'll be back next week with more movies. And uh, until then, have a good one. Adios. Bye.